Uh, let's go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, where Michael left off last week, actually. Uh, like Michael said, my name is Ben Deloach. I'm married. I celebrated a 22nd anniversary on Friday, and I'm uh, so excited about that. And uh, we have uh, four kids, and our, our oldest child, uh, Carter, graduated this year, moved off to the Navy. He's still in basic training. Um, so that's a little bit about our family. I want to tell you a little bit about me, and this is a very little bit and probably an insignificant detail unless you need me to do it, and that is I'm really bad at ordering food. Um, I think I inherited it from my dad. I know that sounds weird, right? But um, like if, if we send my dad out to get food for a group of people, it's, it's going to be chaos, right? And uh, so that's, I've kind of inherited that, and it's really weird because I feel like, especially fast food places, I don't go to a lot of fast food places, but when I go in, I hear myself say, no mayonnaise, no mayonnaise on the burger, no mayonnaise on the chicken. I've even gotten, gotten uh, creative and been like, don't put the mayonnaise anywhere near it. Logan knows what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> but somehow the person on the other side of the counter or the person in the kitchen, they hear extra mayonnaise. And I don't know why that happens. I'm doing something wrong. But being misunderstood is one of my pet peeves, right? I, I don't mind admitting that I'm wrong about something, but man, when I'm misunderstood, it's so frustrating. Like, let's just reach understanding, no mayonnaise. Um, but that's just kind of how it is, right? I mean, m- misunderstandings work that way. When, we, when we're misunderstood, it can be really, really frustrating. Earlier this week, uh, somebody mentioned this Wednesday versus next Wednesday. That's another one. As advanced as our culture is, we still somehow get mixed up. We show up. I thought it was this Wednesday. No, it's next Wednesday. Um, Dinner and discipleship is this Wednesday, which is also the next Wednesday. Isn't that weird? Um, And then it's still, you know, going to go on for another seven weeks after this week. So um, that's a that's a strange one. But uh, the one that gets me is the Starbucks. Have you ever gone to the wrong Starbucks? Like when you meet somebody, maybe somebody you've never met. I meet a lot with clients and sometimes people in the church, and I'm like, I don't really know what this guy looks like. And so you're sitting there, is that him? Is that him? Is that him? Nope. You, you text him, and you go, hey, I'm sitting at Starbucks. And he says what? What does he say? I'm sitting at Starbucks too. Oh, man, wrong Starbucks. Well, the consequences of that are, are, are a little higher than just missing, missing mayonnaise on a sandwich, right? The, uh, as the consequences of our misunderstandings increase, as the consequences get more severe, the emotions tend to get more severe, right? That's frustrating. And nobody likes walking across the parking lot, going to the next star, but you know, you got to go meet the, the person. That's frustrating. Have you ever had a conversation like this? Did you bring the keys? I asked you to bring the keys. I thought you said you had the keys. No, I don't have the keys. That back and forth, misunderstanding. Now you're locked out. Now we're mad, right? As the consequences of the misunderstanding increase, so do the emotions. And that brings us to where Paul is in Galatians. Michael mentioned this last week. Paul's writing this letter to the Galatian churches really to address a misunderstanding. I think we could make a strong argument that the entire book of Galatians is written to address a misunderstanding. This misunderstanding is about the message of the gospel and what the message of the gospel is and what is necessary for salvation. So what happens if the Galatian churches misunderstand this message? What are the consequences? Well, number one, they cease to be a church at some point. And again, I think we could also make a good argument that a church that doesn't believe and teach the gospel is not a church. You can call it a cult, call it another religion, whatever. But if we misunderstand and misrepresent the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can't really call it a church. And if that's not bad enough... 
the stakes are even higher because if the gospel message is misunderstood and diluted and poisoned, like Paul says, people stop being saved. Like souls are at stake when we misunderstand the message of the gospel. And so this is where Paul is, and it's why we see him use a term like he did in, in chapter 1 and verse 6, when he says, I'm astounded. And there's so much behind that word, but Paul is writing with urgency. He's writing with frustration. Guys, you have to understand this, Galatian churches. You have to understand what the real message of the gospel is. And Michael talked about this last week. He, he mentioned the, the, the four S's, which I still love, the, uh, the source the substance, the, uh, the solitude, and the sufficiency of the gospel. If you haven't heard that sermon, go back and listen to it. But that is, that is what they're misunderstanding. They're missing Jesus in the gospel. And so really, the, the big question for the Galatians and what they're, they're struggling with, what they're misunderstanding is, is faith in Jesus Christ for salvation enough? Or is there something else that's needed? And I want to go ahead and say the resounding answer is no, nothing else is needed. Faith in Jesus Christ is what's necessary for salvation, and that's what Paul is trying to communicate throughout the entire book of Galatians. And so in chapter 1, he jumps immediately to the defense. He, he jumps into to explaining that the gospel message of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, faith in that message is all that is needed. But he's defending two things here in this passage we're about to read. And I want you to pay attention to what he's defending. Paul is, one, defending the message, and I think that's obvious. He's defending the message of the gospel, but he's also defending himself. Paul's defending the man as well, the message and the man. I see two M's like that. So the message and the man is what Paul is defending. He's defending himself as well. And so I want us to pay attention as we read this text and see that Paul is connecting his own salvation experience and the message of the gospel. The two are, are tied together. So let's read in Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24, and see how he does this, how he ties both his defense of himself and defense of the gospel in the same passage. This is Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers." But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They, were, they only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith 
he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord in which we say, thanks be to God. I want you to notice something about this text. Paul has a tremendous opportunity here to share the details of his salvation experience. But he doesn't do that. In fact, he only really mentions it one time in one verse when he says, uh, uh, this is in verse 15, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. He references the salvation experience there very briefly, but he doesn't give the details. Now, if you're familiar with Paul's story, Paul's story is amazing. It's unique in all of Christianity. In Acts chapter 9, it's described that Jesus Christ himself, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to Paul as Paul is going to persecute Christians. He appears, his name is Saul at the time. Jesus, in a blinding light from heaven and in a booming voice, appears to him. And it's, it's an amazing experience. Paul is blinded and rattled beyond recognition in that moment. And then Paul describes some more details of that story in Acts chapter 22 and in Acts chapter 26. But in both cases, he's been arrested. And again, there he's making a defense of the gospel too. And he's telling his story. He's giving us a lot of details about what Jesus did to him and how Jesus called him. But here in Galatians, seems like he would have a good opportunity to do that as well, but he doesn't. He just briefly mentions his former life in Judaism. He mentions that God did save him and call him. And then he mentions some of the things that that changed in his life afterwards. But he doesn't get into the details. And I want to show you why he doesn't get into the details here. Look at verse 13. Look what he says. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. You've heard of it. He's writing to the Galatian churches. They already know his story. Paul has been there with them in person. Plus, there's all this talk about this guy that used to persecute the church, and now he's on our side. He's preaching the faith. Paul had been to the Galatian churches, which is now like modern-day southern Turkey. He had been to those churches on his first missionary journey. Now, the interesting thing, when Paul would go into one of these cities, and these were Greek cities for the most part, but there were Jewish synagogues there in those cities, Jewish places of learning and teaching. And Paul was even invited to, to one on one occasion, but he would go into a city, He would start in the synagogue and he would begin explaining how the Old Testament, the covenant with Abraham and the covenant with Moses and all about the prophets and all about the kings. And he would explain how Jesus fulfilled all those things and how we didn't need to to rely on the old covenant because Jesus had brought in a new covenant with better promises. We didn't need to rely on the works of the law and look for salvation in the law of Moses. We need to rely on Jesus, and we need to have faith in Him. Paul explained this everywhere he went. And in addition, Paul told his story. You can imagine people being a little shocked. I thought you were the guy that was persecuting Christians. And now Paul is saying, actually, Jesus is the way, the only way. And so Paul would have a few groups of people respond to him when he would teach in these synagogues. One, he would have people that believed. People would would trust in Jesus. They would have faith. And that was kind of a smaller group. But then there was a second group. The second group would be curious about what Paul was saying. It even says in Acts 13 and 14 that those group, that group who was curious, they would look forward to the next week when they could come back and hear Paul speak in the synagogue. There was a group that was curious about what Paul was saying. 
And actually, the Jewish teachers in those synagogues were very jealous because Paul was drawing such a big crowd. It's very similar to what happened with Jesus, right? The Pharisees were always mad at Jesus for drawing big crowds. Well, then there was a third group, and this is the group we're going to focus on. There were just people that hated Paul. Like they hated the message about Jesus. How dare you say that the law of Moses is not all that important? How dare you say that that's not needed for salvation? In Galatians later, he'll call the law a curse. That's some strong words. And those men, those Jewish teachers, hated the fact that Paul was teaching against the law. But then they also hated the man because they were jealous of him because he was drawing the crowds. They hated the message. They hated the man. Now, it's one thing to say, I feel hatred towards somebody or I'm angry or I don't like their message. These guys took it a step further. They ran Paul out of town. Like literally, at threat of his life, ran him out of town. And so Paul went to other cities proclaiming the gospel. And he got to the city of Lystra. Again, southern Turkey, part of Galatia. He's in the city of Lystra. And they really kind of accepted him at first. He did kind of a cool miracle, healed a crippled guy. And people, it seemed to be a positive experience. People were like, hey, this, we like this Paul. We like this Barnabas. We're going to listen to them. But then people from these other cities hated them so bad, they followed them from their hometowns into Lystra. Now, this is not like going up 280. This is, we're talking hundreds of miles. These men followed Paul into the, into the city of Lystra. They stirred up the entire city against him. They stoned Paul, which is like an ancient version of a firing squad, you know. Nearly killed him. Drug him outside the city of Lystra, left him for dead. No burial, no graveside, just left him in the street for dead. That's how badly these Jewish teachers hated the message, how bad they hated the man. Well, it looked like Paul was dead. Now listen, if it were me, maybe you agree, missionary journey's over. Like, we're done. We're going home. And, and if you look at a map, you can kind of see the, the Galatia is kind of an arc-shaped. He had worked through the cities and got down to the city of Derby. He went on. He left Lystra. Again, had been beaten, left for dead, went on to the city of Derby. Derby's about 150 miles from Lystra. But then another 150 miles was Saul's hometown. Like Tarsus, that's where he grew up. He could have easily just walked home. But he didn't. You know what Paul did is one of the most amazing things we see in the New Testament. One of the most amazing examples of courage that we see in the New Testament. Paul turned and went the opposite direction. Back through those cities where people tried to kill him. It was a five or six hundred mile journey. He went back through those cities. And, and Acts 13 and 14 tells us, or Acts 14 rather, says that he did that to strengthen and encourage the brothers. And he appointed elders in those churches. Further established the church, further encouraged the church, further explained the gospel after they tried to kill him. And then Paul sailed back home to Antioch. Now imagine, imagine Paul's response when he gets word from those churches in Galatia, they're believing another gospel. There are people that are there that are poisoning their minds, and now these believers that you thought were saved are now turning against and disbelieving the message. Oh yeah, and they don't think a lot of you now, Paul, either, because these believers, these, these false teachers have told them some things about you. Can you imagine how Paul would have felt? Like he risked his life for these churches, was nearly killed, and then now he's there in Antioch being told 
yeah, they, they don't believe you. This is the response, the book of Galatians. Now, I want to be real clear here. Paul's not so upset that they don't believe him. He's upset that they're missing the message of the gospel. See, upset. <laughs> missing the message of the gospel. Now, who are these false teachers? We keep talking about the false teachers, but who in the world were they? Well, I think it stands to reason that in Galatia, these men, these Jewish teachers who had tried to kill Paul, they chased him down, ran him out of town, stoned him, left him for dead. Those same Jewish teachers were probably some of the ones that were now coming into the Galatian churches and saying, no, you don't need Jesus. The other group, which is kind of interesting, might actually be people that Paul went to school with. Paul mentioned how he was excelling among others his age. Like he was advancing in Judaism. This is in verse 14, beyond many of my own age, of my own people. This group of false teachers probably came from Jerusalem and went up to Galatia to explain that Paul was wrong and that the message of the gospel was wrong. These these individuals were called uh, Judaizers. They were trying to combine Jesus and all the things that Jesus brought and the old covenant law saying, yeah, 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 Jesus is great, but we're going to start back with Abraham. And if you obey the laws given to Abraham, you obey the laws given to Moses, you obey the prophets, go through some of our traditions and practice those, then we'll get to Jesus. And, and Paul was probably associated with some of these guys. Paul was one of these guys. He was one of the ones that was, was trying to force Christianity out, persecuting the church. So we think this is probably who they were, but what were they saying? I guess something else he leaves out here, right? In this text, he never says exactly what they were, were criticizing him for. Now, um, Tim Keller, has, uh, he's a, a pastor, a former pastor up in New York City and, and a writer. He um, has written a, a companion guide for this series, or uh, it's called Galatians for You. It's the book we're using to kind of walk, walk through this together. And in that book, Galatians for You, Tim Keller gives some possible answers here, and he admits, just, just like I do, I mean, we don't know for sure what they were saying about Paul, but we can look at how Paul defends himself and kind of work backwards and kind of figure out and piece together, this is maybe what they might have been saying. So one of the things that Tim Keller says is that uh, Paul was just preaching his own message. I mean, he drew some crowds, so maybe Paul was just trying to sell some books. Maybe Paul was just trying to grow in popularity, so he comes up with this message and trying to please people. I mean, after all, having faith in Jesus is a lot easier than following all the Old Testament laws. So maybe Paul was just trying to grow a crowd. Look at how he, how he responds, if that were the criticism. Look at how he responds in verse 10. Now think about this. His response would be, "For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not my gospel. It's not something I'm making up. It seems like it's possible that's what Paul is defending here, is that these false teachers are saying Paul is making some things up here just to try to to please people. Paul says, no, if I were trying to please people, I'd be a servant of people. I'm not a servant of people. I'm a servant of Christ. It's his message, not my message. It's pretty strong there. The other thing that... Uh, they may have been saying, though, was that, uh, that Paul was teaching an incomplete message. You know, these other false teachers that had come from Jerusalem, they had been taught in all the same ways that, that Paul was taught. 
And so they knew the law very, very well. Now, Paul even mentions, hey, I was at, at the top of my class here. But these teachers were probably coming in and saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus is pretty amazing. Like, he's good. He's a prophet chosen by God. Yeah, he, message of love, message of peace. Jesus is great. But you can't forget about these other rules and regulations you have to follow. You know, and, and it's interesting because what Paul says here, let's pick up, pick up in the text in verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my age, or my own age among my people. So extremely zealous, pay attention, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. It's like Paul is saying, listen, if anybody were going to explain to you that you needed Jesus and something else, it would be me. Like, I know the law better than these guys that are coming to you. I was ahead of them. In high school, that Rabbi Richard guy, he didn't even know the Ten Commandments, right? He, he's, he's one that's up trying to teach you. I know more than him. Paul's saying if anybody is going to teach you to follow the old covenant law, it's going to be me. But it's not his message. His message is Christ alone. Well, the other thing, and this is probably the thing that, uh, that, that Paul responds to the most, is that these false teachers were probably saying Paul was pretending to be an apostle. You know, the apostles were those who had interacted with Jesus personally. They had seen Jesus. They had gotten the great commission from Jesus. Um, they, were, they had a special calling in the church and an empowerment in the church. And so Paul went to Galatia and these false teachers say, yeah, 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 but Paul probably went down to Jerusalem. He probably met with Peter, probably met with James and some of the other apostles. And he heard their message and he liked it. And so now he's up here pretending to be an apostle too. Paul has no authority. Don't listen to him. It's very likely that's the kind of thing that they were saying. Well, look at how Paul responds in the text. After he talks about how God called him to the Gentiles in verse 16... At the end of verse 16, he said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. He's talking about after his salvation. I didn't immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas or Peter and remained with him 15 days, only 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Now, in most of your Bibles, it probably has parentheses there and has an exclamation point at the end. You see how this is like an aside. Paul, is, Paul, Paul loves the Galatian church. Understand, he's angry because he loves them and he wants them to believe the gospel. And so he is, he is defending with all his might, how can I communicate this to them that I, I, I am an apostle? This is Jesus' message. It, I have been called to bring this message to them. And, and he writes this like boldly. What I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. He is pleading with them urgently. Now, I don't want us to get confused here, talking about misunderstandings. I don't want us to misunderstand what, what Paul is saying. He's not being self-serving in this. Like, Paul is not trying to say, I'm just as good as those other guys. Please believe me. He's not begging and pleading for the Galatians to believe him. He's begging and pleading that they would believe the message. Paul has made it very, very clear from the beginning in verse 10. He's a servant of Christ. Remember verse 10? 
Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul sees himself and his identity as a servant of Christ. And that's why his apostleship is so important. He's been called to this specific task. And he sees that he is Christ's servant first and foremost. He is not trying to please people. That's the first thing. But the second thing, he's defending the gospel message itself. And look what he says in, uh, in verse 11. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Again, Paul is defending that he is a servant of Christ first and foremost. And he's defending the fact that the message he's proclaiming, not his message, not the apostle's message, not any man's message. It is from a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's making that abundantly clear. These two ideas are so tied together that they're inseparable in Paul's life. His identity and his message are tied together because they both belong to Jesus. Do you see that? His identity belongs to Jesus. Paul belongs to him. The message Paul proclaims is Jesus's. That message belongs to Jesus. They both belong to Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I want to say we can learn a lot from this because the same is true for us. If we have trusted in Jesus, if we have put our faith in him for salvation, you belong to him. We belong to him. Our identity is in him. We are first and foremost his servant. The message that we proclaim about the gospel about the good news of Jesus' death, or his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, we, we proclaim that gospel, not because it sounds like a good idea and because we kind of like it ourselves, but it's because it's his message. Those two are inseparably tied together. Now, years ago, I mentioned Starbucks earlier. I used to spend a lot of time in Starbucks. Starbucks was kind of an office away from home. And uh, I would meet, meet clients there and such, like I mentioned, but um, I would spend a lot of time getting to know their staff. And there were two girls there, both of them claim to be believers. Um, I'm not going to use their real names, but Mary and Martha, good New Testament-sounding names. Um, and so Martha was standing there in Starbucks, and she was hanging out with some of her, her co-workers. And they were just talking about something that was, that was inappropriate, uh, that you know, would be offensive to most. And as they're standing there talking, Mary walks in. She's coming in to start her shift. And one of the guys there in the group talking about this inappropriate thing says to the group, hey, we got to quit talking. Mary's here. She's a Christian. She wouldn't appreciate us talking like this. Well, so Martha later was telling me this story. And she was pretty hurt by that statement because Martha was a believer too. She was a Christ follower. Yet they felt totally comfortable having this conversation, this inappropriate thing with her. So she looks at me and says, you know, what, what do I do? I said, well, have you, have you told them your story? Have you told them that you're a Christian? Have you told them how Jesus saved you and what Jesus means to you? Well, no, I haven't really gotten around to that. You see, she had missed this idea that our identity in Christ and the message that we carry are tied together. They can't exist apart from one another. Jesus has come to us. The gospel message has come to us so that it can advance through us. That's the whole point. Even in Paul's life in ministry, look, what, look here, when he talks about the gospel, remember he just tells us in two verses the summary of how Jesus saved him. Look what he does. He immediately connects this. Verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, that's salvation, 
Look what he says at the second part of 16. In order that I might preach. The two are together. Paul's calling his salvation was in order that he would preach. And I think we can look at the rest of the New Testament. We can say that's true for all of us. Now, not all of us are going to be called to go into Galatia. Okay? But we are all called to proclaim the gospel message and to preach this message to the people that we interact with every day. I went to a, a country years ago that uh, it was illegal to share the gospel in this country. And the missionary I met with there was telling me about some difficulties when he first got there. And this guy was a tall, white guy, American, um, and he said people were really offended when he shared the gospel. When he shared his story about how God saved him, and then when he shared the truth of the gospel, people were just really offended. In this country, uh, Christians are persecuted. It's legal to be a Christian, uh, but they're heavily criticized and they're persecuted. A lot of times they meet in house churches, um, but it's illegal like truly against the law, on the books, they cannot share the gospel. They can be Christians, but they can't share the gospel. And so every time he would, he would share his story about Jesus, people would get really offended. And he just had kind of thought, well, this is just how it's going to be. I'm, I'm here on mission for God, and I'm going to be persecuted. That's what Jesus said. I'm just going to live with it. Well, eventually, a, a Muslim man approached him and said, hey, your problem is your timing. This is not the message. The people are fine to hear that you're a Christian. People are fine to hear your story about how Jesus saved you. You're doing it at the wrong time. He said, when you share it later, people think you're deceiving them. They think the whole relationship up to that point has just sort of been a fake relationship. You're kind of tricking them. He said, if you'll lead with your story, tell your story first, they won't be offended. So he started doing that and was amazed at the response that he got. Because if something is that important, if something is that foundational to our identity, we share it first. That culture understands that idea. We Americans have a little little difficulty. And when I heard him say that, when I heard this missionary say that, I went, wow, what a great idea. Maybe we should do that too. Maybe we, as believers in the U.S., when we interact with people, should talk more about our story, and about how God saved us, and about who Jesus is in our lives. And so I want to challenge us today to start doing that, to start sharing the story of how God saved you, and to do it in such a way that's, that's very casual. And we talk about yesterday's games pretty easily. But we need to be able to talk about our story and about how Jesus saved us just as easily. There's a book uh, by, uh, by Paul Little called How to Give Your Faith Away. It's been around for decades. Great little evangelism book. And he actually makes that exact point. He says sharing the gospel, sharing your story, should be as easy as talking about yesterday's game. But somehow it's not, right? Somehow in those moments where we feel like we need to share about Jesus, maybe we need to share our own story, we sort of quickly talk ourselves out of it. Maybe we're afraid we're going to be persecuted somehow. Well, let me tell you, nobody's going to drag you outside the city and leave you for dead for sharing your story. And they did that to Paul. We can look at Paul and look at his courage, and I think we can get encouragement from that in those moments where we're too scared to say something or we talk ourselves out of it. How are they going to respond? What are they going to say? 
Are we servants of people? Are we servants of Christ? And Paul makes it clear. The reason he has the courage that he does to travel five, six hundred miles back through the Galatian churches after nearly being killed because he's not servant of man. He's servant of Christ. I want us to own that as a church. I want to own that more in my own life. I'm a servant of Christ to carry his message. We need to tell his story. I've got a few ideas when we look at at Paul's story. Again, Paul is an encouragement to us. When we look at his story, we can kind of learn how we can do this. And I just want to kind of follow this, this section, verse 10 through 24. It's kind of an outline for things that we can do when we find ourselves in that moment where we feel God calling us to share our stories. Now, some, for some of us, we've known people 5, 10, 15 years. Well, 5 for you guys and the students. Um, you probably never shared your story with them. Those are, those are kind of hard conversations to have. And it sort of looks like this. It's, hey, we've known each other a long time now, and I need to ask your forgiveness for something. I, I haven't shared what's most important in life to me with you, and I want to do that now. Is anybody going to turn you down if you put it that way? Nobody's going to say, well, I don't want to hear that. They're going to listen to you. And you share your story, and the worst they're going to say is, okay. Nobody's going to stone you, I promise. Nobody's going to run you out of town or chase you down to another city. Like, we can share that story with great freedom in our country. And so the first thing I want us to remember is look at Paul's example. We find that moment this week. It'll be there, I promise you, because it's out there now, right? I've talked about it. So it'll be there. You'll find yourself in that situation this week. And you'll chicken out. And I want you to remember Paul's courage. I want you to remember what Paul says. Am I a servant of man or a servant of Christ? I'm a servant of Christ. First of all, we are his servants. And in those moments where we're afraid to speak, God has promised us that he will give us the Holy Spirit to teach us what to say. I talked to a, a, a brother in Christ this morning. He came up after the first service and he was telling me about the first time that he ever shared the gospel. And he said it was as if the Holy Spirit just, just took over in that moment. And so he really wasn't even sure what he was saying. He was terrified. He was running from the idea. And then God put face to face, put him face to face with a young lady. It was just there. She was asking questions. And he, he just started talking. God saved her right there. Through his fears, through his doubts, through his fumbling around and finding the words, God saved this, this young lady. And then she went and told all her friends. And they all came to him and started. And, and that's how God works. So that first time you sit down and you begin to explain your story and explain the gospel, it's going to be tough. But God is going to give you his spirit, give you the words to say. This is how God works in and through the church. He has given us this salvation so that we can advance the gospel message. So that's the first thing. We are servants of Christ. Secondly, we carry the message of Christ. Jesus is very clear. Like in Acts 1.8, he tells the disciples, you're my witnesses. But the whole point of this, the whole reason I've saved you, yeah, it's for your salvation, but it's for your witnesses that others can be saved. Like it's Christ's message. He did not give it to us so we could just hold on to it. He gave us this message so we could explain it. And listen, folks, it doesn't have to be with great intellectual argument. Look at how Galatians is structured, just how it's, how it's written. In, in the end of chapter 2 and in chapter 3, Paul gets into some incredible logic about the gospel. And he talks about how the gospel and the law of Christ is so much better than the old covenant and the law of Moses. 
He goes into deep, great detail. It's brilliant. I mean, it's, I'm, you know, Michael's going to be preaching a lot of it, but it's, it's brilliant how Paul walks through these intellectual arguments. But that's not what he does first. Notice what he does first. He reminds them of the gospel that he preached, and then he reminds them of his story. That's where he starts. And he'll continue. In fact, next week in chapter 2, he, get, he goes into more of his story and explaining the gospel through the lens of his own story. This message is not ours. It belongs to Jesus, and we need to share it. The other thing that Paul does is he, he points back to his former life. We've read that a couple of times. He points back to his former Hey, remember how I used to be? And then I met Jesus, and then I became somebody completely different? Like That's a pretty simple timeline to follow. Paul talks about how bad he was. And the goal is not to go into gory details about your story, right? It's not about you. Paul doesn't get into specifics here of, of who he helped kill and who he arrested and all that. He just says, I was a violent persecutor. Right? He told what his life was like before Christ. So when you think about sharing your story, after you remember and remind yourself you're a servant of Christ, after you remember that the message is his, you're just a, a steward of it and you're proclaiming it, remember what your life was like before Christ and share that as part of your story. The fourth thing Paul um, references here, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. It's interesting the phrasing there because that's a very Old Testament way of talking about the Lord. I'm um, in Isaiah chapter 49. In fact, if you read the whole chapter of Isaiah chapter 49, you can kind of put Paul in it in many places. Um, but the very first verse, Isaiah 49.1, says that uh, God knows us before we're born. And he talks about how God has given us, or given the Jewish people at that point, salvation so that it can spread to the nations. He says, too small a thing for it to stay with you. I've made you a light for the nations. And again, that, I think Paul is probably making reference to some of those verses, some of those Old Testament verses. So I would challenge us, as we share the gospel, share a truth, share the truth that opened your eyes to who Jesus is. It may be a verse, it may be a conversation, a sermon, could be a, even, a, even a movie or a, or a dream. God speaks through all kinds of ways. God always uses the truth to save us. We just never know what truth he's going to use or at what time he's going to use it. But he always uses the truth to save us. And when you think back to when God saved you, try to identify what is that truth? What was that, what was that one thing that clicked? And share that with, with whoever you're sharing your story with. Now for me, I was saved at, uh, at eight years old. Um, I grew up in a uh, a pretty conservative church, a Baptist church over in Trustful. And um, our preacher was a pretty fire and brimstone kind of guy, red face, pounding on the pulpit every week, just about. But we had a visiting preacher on a Sunday night. We had a Sunday service back then. And uh, he came in. He was a really humble, soft-spoken guy, one of the most, most uh, kind, kindest men I've ever met. But he preached about what separation from Christ for eternity would look like. And uh, to hear this humble, soft-spoken man talk about it, it, it really, as an eight-year-old boy, it spoke to me. I heard. My ears were opened. And I heard that, man, if I don't trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and for my salvation, I'm going to be separated from God for eternity. That was a clear, simple message for an eight-year-old boy. And it nagged in my mind. It stayed with me. I left that night and I remember my mom, was, was, she went out to get gas uh, 
she had to go to work the next morning. We're sitting at a little shell station in Trustful, which isn't there anymore. <laughs> and sitting there in the car while she's inside paying, I felt like somebody who was drowning. I felt like I was in the middle of a frozen lake, and I couldn't swim, and I couldn't get my bearings. And all I knew was to call out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. And so we did. It's that simple. I share that story, and nobody's going to criticize. Nobody's going to make fun of. Nobody's going to drag me out of town. But in that story, we need to share a truth. And, and one of the truths, is the verses that I remember connecting with at a very young age as an 8-year-old, was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. That verse has been on my head and in my heart for years. And as an eight-year-old child, I remember that verse so well to define my salvation experience. So when I share my story, when I share that story, I always try to share that verse, that truth. The, the fifth and final thing is to talk about your life after Christ. Talk about your life after Jesus. Paul does this in a pretty remarkable way. Look at what he says here. He talks about going and, and, and seeing the apostles briefly. But then in verse 22, look how he ends this section. So I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Now, the, the, Judea means the, the churches surrounding Jerusalem. He was still unknown to those Jerusalem churches that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Well, that's what happened to Paul after he met Jesus. And look what happens. The end result, they glorified God. They glorified God because of what they heard God had did in Paul's life. And so that's the challenge for us too. Share that story. What is God doing? What did he do after you trusted in Jesus? What's he doing now that you can share? And so when we think about sharing our stories, I know that it, it, is, it can be a little bit intimidating. But I think Paul gives us a great example of courage, and he gives us a, a pretty good outline of how to do that. And so as the worship team comes up, I just want to review quickly. When we think about sharing our story, when we find ourselves in that moment, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord that he's going to do what he said he's going to do through the gospel message that you proclaim. We are Christ's servants, first and foremost. Live out that identity and be willing to share that message. Find courage in that. Secondly, remember that the message is not yours. It wasn't given to you. Know, it's your story. But the message wasn't given to you to hold on to. It was given to you. This message of the gospel and your story was given so that you could proclaim it to others. The two are inseparably tied together. We are servants of Christ. We carry the message of Christ. Remember to talk about your life before Christ. Again, not in gory details. But then also... Talk about the truth that opened your eyes to the Lord. Talk about that verse or that conversation or that sermon. And then share what your life was like and what your life is like after Christ. Brothers and sisters, these, these five things are, just, are, are helpful, but ultimately we're going to find ourselves in that situation and we're going to have to trust the Lord that he's going to do great things with the message he's given to us. Paul is desperate and urgent that the Galatian churches understand the good news of the life 
death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel. Paul is urgent that they would understand it. Folks, we should be just as urgent for the world around us. There's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of deception out there. So as we sing, as we, as we think about what this week may look like, I want you to think about your story and how you're going to share it. And maybe there's that person you've already thought of. Oh, I can't believe I've never shared with them about the Lord and who the Lord is to me. I want you to think about that person as we sing as well. And then I realize there may be some of you here that you don't have that story with Jesus yet. Maybe this moment is the part of that story. So I want you to think about what it looks like for you to call out to Jesus to save you, maybe for the first time. And I want us to use this time to sing, time to reflect, time to worship, to do those things.